I just came back from a trip, uh, Don. I uh, and all the equipment is set for not me. There. How about that? All right. Here we go. So Don Jeffries is, or Donald Jeffries is a Substacker. He's also an author. He has many, many books that he has written on the subject of the Kennedy assassination, 9/11 conspiracy, or the 9/11. Uh, is it a conspiracy or is it a non-conspiracy? Um, and other subjects. He was also the author of We Have Nothing to Fear But Fear Porn Itself, which Don, we uh, we made an entire monologue. I just read it from start to finish because I thought it was so good on a Friday a couple of Fridays ago, I'm like, okay, enough of this, you people. Enough of this wringing of the hands. Enough of uh, enough, uh, enough of this that everything has gone wrong and everything that could possibly go wrong is, is going to go wrong and is going to continue to go wrong. That's what they want you to think. So I thought we would just uh, talk a little uh, little green men, falling buildings, and magical bullets today with Donald Jeffries. And you can find him at uh, donaldjeffries.substack.com. Don, welcome to the Mike Church on the Crusade Channel, brother. How are you? Well, it's great to be with you, Mike. And yeah, somebody alerted me to the fact you were you were reading that on the air, and I, I listened to it. It was very uh, very appreciative of the fact you you got a laugh, a kick out of that article. Yeah, it, well, it, because it came in handy uh, at a time when, as I was saying, we uh, there's enough negativity out there. Wasn't that the point of the whole article? Well, it, it was. I mean, people have accused me, you know, especially people that aren't awake at all. They think I'm the most negative person in the world. But uh, in the conspiracy world, which is my world, uh, a lot of times I end up being the most optimistic person in a bunch. I guess I've watched a lot of Frank Capra movies. But I just my point was, I mean, look, I, I think it's things are pretty hopeless. I think we're run by, you know, absolutely evil, probably satanic criminals uh, we don't seem to have any power. We're losing our rights. But I, I just don't, I don't like the predictions that are made constantly by Alex Jones. It's never come true. And uh, in, in terms of fear porn, I was mainly talking about COVID. You know, my latest book is Masking the Truth. It's all about that. And uh, it just seems like we're stead because we're, there's nothing to fear in life itself. Anyhow, we don't need this fear porn. And uh they're just, they, they seem to realize with COVID, I think they realize that works better than anything else. And so they're just constantly, it's a new variant coming, you know, this, this one's worse than ever. And, you know, it's, it's uh, you know, it, so I just, you get sick. There could, there could be an asteroid hitting next week or, you know, there's, there's always something, you know. Well, let's 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 talk about the uh, let's talk about the books and talk about some of the work. Uh, let's start with the Kennedy assassination. We were talking last week with uh, with, with another guest uh, with Michael Hitchborn of the Lepanto Institute about the magical bullet. And Hitchborn didn't know this. I'm like, dude, that story's in the New York Times. That guy came <laughs> forward in the. Yeah. That story came forward, uh, it was was printed in the New York Times, and it was about a Secret Service agent that was on duty that day, he was with Kennedy, he was assigned to the detail, and the and, and then the, what they call the magic bullet now, was actually was not extracted from the body or from Governor Connolly's arm, uh, or from where they said it had lodged, it was lodged into the back seat behind um, uh, uh, basically behind where Connolly was sitting next to Kennedy or, or in the seat and the bullet was lodged into the actual seat and he removed it and brought it to the hospital and laid it on the gurney next to Kennedy's body thinking he was doing the right thing and in doing so they found what they called the magic bullet just thinking that it just fell out of Kennedy and then 
that's where uh, the, the, that's where it lies. So what? Do you, so uh, tell us a little bit about the 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 uh, the magic bullet. Well, I've been talking a lot about this. Uh, you know, somebody uh, showing the BBC I was on the other day uh, talking about it briefly, and uh, it's you know this. I've been studying. I got my start as a teenage volunteer in the mid '70s with Mark Lane's uh, group, Citizens Committee of Inquiry, most famous critic of the Warren Report. So I've been at this a long time. Uh, I don't know what to make of this, but I do know that I think it, it's my radar goes off when the New York Times is giving it any credence. It's kind of like how they're suddenly giving UFO sightings credence after ridiculing people who saw them for decades suddenly now it's a real thing and uh i don't know maybe the jfk assassination is going to be the same thing as well but landis's story this paul landis is 88 years old and he like all the other secret service agents in jfk's detail were the most obvious uh participants unwittingly or not in the assassination because they let it happen they did nothing for five or six seconds at all they just sat there and watched him get his head blown off. Uh, the driver almost stopped the car. Landis, uh, like all the rest, were at, was out drinking until five in the morning. Again, violating all Secret Service protocols, so their re reactions would have been dulled anyhow. But his story is, you know, it makes him look really bad, and he's right. getting respect from people. I mean, because he, he, you know, instead of taking this bullet, which is prime evidence, uh, and, and marking it and starting the chain of possession, which he, you know, he is trained to do. He doesn't do that. He walks in the hospital and just sticks it on JFK's stretcher because he thought it belonged there. What? I mean, what? I mean, that corrupts the, that corrupts the evidence completely. That makes it, you know, if you had a, a trial in an honest courtroom, which they probably wouldn't have, a good defense attorney would have said, well, you know, just throw this, this. This has to be thrown out. There's no chain of possession for you. This guy's Secret Service agent said he walked into the hospital and put it on the bed. Now, we don't know for sure. It sure seems like that must be the same magic bullet because it was, you know, he said it was pretty much pristine and uh, he put it on a stretcher. But, you know, you have to cor you correlate that with the the and I, in my book, Hidden History, I talk about the uh, the way this bullet was discovered, whatever it was. If there was only one bullet, if there are two bullets, then, you know, it just opens up a whole new can of worms. But the people I talk about how nobody wanted that bullet. You know, even after Landis planted it or whatever, you know, a lot of people think Jack Ruby planted it. That was that's been the <laughs> when the kids put it. Apparently, it was Landis. I don't know. Maybe they did it together. But uh, you know, the, you had two different people claiming responsibility for finding it. One waited a long time. Uh, neither one mentioned the other. And uh, once they found it, they passed it to the supervisor, the head of security, O.P. Wright, who I described in the book how he, he, he walked around and kept trying to interest somebody in it. No Secret Service agent wanted the bullet. No FBI agent wanted the bullet. It eventually went back to Washington, D.C. in the coat pocket of a Secret Service agent, Richard Johnson, who would later tell Vince Palermo, a researcher who's done great work on the Secret Service, that he didn't remember it. The highlight of his career, you know, transporting a bullet back, he didn't... So, the record is re replete with this kind of stuff. And needless to say, the Secret Service should have been under scrutiny from the beginning because they didn't do their job that day. And this guy coming out now, uh, it, it may help the case for conspiracy. I don't think, you know, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. tweeted out the single bullet theory is now dead. Well, it was dead on arrival. It was absurd to begin with. Yeah, it, yeah. Was, it was impossible. So I don't know what he's talking about this. I mean, I guess maybe, it, you know, it, it makes the case for conspiracy a bit stronger. But it also, I think, should focus renewed attention on the Secret Service agents, including Landis, who not only, you know, did apparently more, I mean, apparently planted a bullet because that's what this guy did. So he should be, I think, I mean, I'm not saying he was complicit in it. I don't think he planted a bullet on purpose to try to frame anybody. But at the very least, it's monumental incompetence. And uh, this guy should, you know, why did you wait 60 years? 
you you didn't think this evidence was important especially once once the uh, the critics like mark lane my mentor people have started talking about the single bullet theory and and we're saying what well, must have been planted it's you know how did it get there here's the guy who apparently planted it and he never came forward to say uh, you know and that was me actually guys i mean i guess he thought it would make him look bad but it makes him look bad now so but his his book is selling very well so good for him hopefully his family prospers from it but uh, maybe this will you know renew a discussion a little bit on it but i i just i don't have any confidence after being at this for so long that the the discussion will be an honest one yeah that's the uh, that's the issue uh what is there so many issues with this okay what about this there was a, a clint eastwood movie that was made uh, i want to say in the 80s where he played a secret service agent and uh, the whole movie was about him being in the position where he could jump in front of the president and actually take a bullet for him <laughs> so yeah. you know you have hollywood that's putting in this line of fire yeah. in the line of fire you have hollywood putting this yeah. shine this patina this glow of, of professionality and bravery yeah. and heroism and courage under fire on the secret yes. service and when in fact you know we know and i'm not saying that there weren't her heroic secret service agents because i'm sure there are but then after the fact we learned about the from the from the landis story here that and from what you're saying these guys were out getting boozed up the night before they probably yes. if they showed up for work in 2020 like <laughs> they'd be sent home probably for good <laughs> Yeah, well, in, in an honest investigation, Mike, if it, if things had been, in, if there was no investigation, that's what people need to understand. This is a crime that has never been investigated. The people that done the investigation were the, the people like Mark Lane, Harold Weisberg, Sylvia Marr, uh, the, the, Penn Jones, the original band of critics, none of whom were professional journalists because journalists have, have, have never had any interest in this at all, investigating it. And then later people like me, just, you know, as teenagers saying, well, I'm trying to this is the ones that are left and there's never been any interest in this at all and so i i don't think that uh that you know if you, if you look at it the the secret services trained first of all to react to gunfire we know that driver william gear greer uh mm -hmm. at least hit the brakes and 57 witnesses said he stopped and you know that's why people think the films are altered and everything because it doesn't appear to show a complete stop turned around instead of accelerating out of there as he's trained to do at the sound of gunfire turned around and watched jfk's head get blown off roy kellerman sitting next to him in the front seat his job sound of gunfire was to jump over that jumper seat where Connolly, the Connollys were and cover kennedy knock him down to the floor and be spread to him and that's exactly what lbj's lead agent rufus youngblood did you can see him in the pictures spreading he did his job that's because lbj wasn't a target and so I, I don't know, you know, I, I think personally, maybe don't everybody doesn't believe this, but especially with what we would see later in every event like 9-11 and you know, the Sandy Hook and Boston bombing, all these things, there were always drills going on at the same time, we learned belatedly. Uh, there, there are rumors about that. I, I think that to, to give the Secret Service the benefit of the doubt, it's quite possible that they were told they were going to have a simulated assassination. I, I don't think that's beyond the realm of possibility. They were told, hey, you know, Kennedy doesn't take this seriously. We're going to simulate an assassination. It was an early drill, perhaps. We know that Operation Northwoods had already been floated out the year before, which was a huge, giant psyop that JFK, uh, you know, vetoed. To his, he was the only one who was against it with fake plane crashes and all the crazy stuff. And it's out there in the record. That's what they wanted to do. And uh, so it's possible they could have done this, and then that's why they didn't react, because they were told it was fake and they weren't supposed to react. I don't know. And then if, if that was the truth and it actually backfired on them, then I can kind of see what we would see later in TWA Flight 800, which I think that's 
an example of you know just carelessness where i don't think they meant to shoot uh, the airliner down, but the, the the Navy just got careless and accidentally shot it down. And I, I can understand that cover up. They're not going to admit that. So I think it could have been the case here. The Secret Service didn't want to admit, hey, you know, well, wait a minute. They, especially when they saw the cover up going into into place here. So I think that's a possibility. But however you look at it, in a real investigation, the the Warren Commission, the FBI, they would the first witnesses called would have been that Secret Service detail. They would have focused on them drinking the night before. They would have asked what their training was. They would have really scrutinized driver William Greer and said, you know what, you know, look, especially like looking at the Zapruder film and saying, look, you had like six seconds to react here. And you you turned you turned around, you slowed or stopped the car. You turned around and watched him get blown. Why didn't you accelerate at the sound of gunfire? Is that what you're trained to do? The, uh, the agents in their backup car, including Landis and Clint Hill, who's also still alive and making lots of money off of several books that are self-serving and full of disinformation, and, uh, you know, why didn't you guys, you had a, a very short distance between the backup follow-up car and uh, JFK's limousine. You could have gotten there in a second or two and jumped over him and spread eagle and then saved his life because the first shot wasn't fatal. But there was no scrutiny on that. In fact, these guys were treated like heroes. And you can see the kind of the reception that Landis is getting by everybody, except for a few of us. Uh, he's still being, they're still being treated like heroes. This Clint is inc- as well. Clint Hill's not incredible right, information from uh, Don Jeffrey, uh, uh, Donald Jeffries, who is the uh, what's the name of your book? The book on uh, the uh, the JFK assassination. Well, in my book, Hidden History and Expose of Modern Hidden History, Conspiracies and Cover Ups in American Politics, uh, that hidden history and it's 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 got a lot of jfk assassination that stuff it isn't just that it also has rfk mlk jfk jr i was the first one to launch a, a, an independent investigation to show that he was assassinated as well oklahoma city 9 11 all the way up through the obama years and uh, i'm gonna have a, a jfk book coming out next month that i co-wrote with my friend william law who's the the expert on the autopsy evidence it's called pipe the mimbo in red uh, D- D- Dean Andrews, Jim Garrison, and the assass- the conspiracy to kill JFK, and it's it's based on my longtime, like so my brother, my late brother's f- close friendship with Dean Andrews III. People who know Dean Andrews Jr. was he was the beatnik lawyer that was played by John Candy in Oliver Stone's JFK. Well, I'm, I'm been good friends for decades with his son. He's finally telling his story. We have lots of other things there that we examine the uh, New Orleans. Uh, element of the plot, which I believe was the ground level plot, basically what Oliver Stone covered in his film. But uh, we go way more in depth on it. Okay, so your your theory then or your thinking is that uh, Oliver Stone actually came uh, pretty, pretty close to to in his film, which uh, Kevin Costner was in. I think it came out in uh, 93, 93 or 94, 91, yeah, Uh, Yeah. uh, about what the the, the role that the city of New Orleans played. Look, Don, we're going to run out of time. There's so much more that I want to talk to you about. This is great stuff, though, here, and I can't wait to get the book. Um, Let's move on. You mentioned TWA Flight. 800. We have a series that runs here on the on uh, the Crusade Channel from uh, a former military intelligence uh, officer who uh, he wrote a book called Reverse Deception, and he did radio shows for for us for three years. He did series. The first series that we did was TWA Flight 800, and uh, the second interview that he did was with Steve uh, Steve Baumgartner. Steve Baumgartner was one of the FBI agents that was uh, going around uh, canvassing the witnesses. Fine, and interviewing 
people that had actually seen the missile, had seen uh, had seen the plane hit, had seen it fall into two pieces, had seen it fall into in, into the ocean here. But people don't know this. There are dozens of witnesses on Long Island Sound that night that yes. saw that missile. As a matter of fact, uh, with the, the, our series on TWA Flight 800 with Greg Carpenter, which you can find at CrusadeMax.com, folks. Go go listen. It's three it's three parts. It starts off with Ted Koppel. Breaking, he's doing Nightline live, and Koppel stops and hits his earbud. Goes, stops, listens, and goes. We have breaking news. You know, there was only a couple of copies of Koppel because Koppel says, Don, on 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 on, on Nightline, which is why they had to scrub it from the record, and only people that have VCRs have this tape. Koppel says reports from the scene say that some projectile or a missile may have hit the plane. So you have the first instance is reported on TWA Flight 800 that it's gone down over Long Island Sound and that witnesses on the ground say that there may have been a missile that was fired. We know that there was a, a U.S. A United States naval vessel that was in the area. We know they were conducting an exercise. I don't know how they ever got away with this one. Uh, well, yeah, and it's a, uh, you know, Pierre Salinger uh, had his career ruined, you know, J- JFK's former press secretary who had been living a cushy life for years as the uh, living in Paris as ABC's correspondent, which he special correspondent, he did very little work, but I'm sure whatever he did was was, was fun for him. But uh, he made the mistake of really, you know, talking about this as a missile and publicizing uh, the video and the witnesses and everything, and he, they destroyed him. And again, I, it's one of the, this is one issue where I kind of empathize with them because I don't think, you know, I, yeah, I, I wouldn't put it past them to shoot down an airliner, but these are evil people, I think. But I don't think in this case, I think it was just incredible carelessness uh, during a Navy uh, training exercise. That's what most people think. And uh, so I can almost understand how you go into overdrive like that, because how do you, ex- you know, that that could really, uh, you know, really expose just exactly how bad these people are, at least how badly incompetent they are. Because most people don't realize it's not just conspiracy. You know, there's there's tons of incompetence involved as well. People think that, you know, people have to be brilliant. They're they're not. They're crappy conspirators. These people are. I mean, they're they're but they have power. <laughs> you know, they have incredible power. And, you know, you don't have to be brilliant. If you have power, it doesn't matter how dumb you are. How confident you are. So, you know, and I, that's, I think people need to realize that. They, they think of these people as Machiavellian strategists. And I think there are, there is, you know, at the top, there's something like an Illuminati that pulls the strings. But the people we see, I mean, these are not brilliant people. Just look at, I mean, you know, it's, look at George W. Bush and, and, you know, Biden walking to Trump. These people, there's not, you know, the Clintons, Nancy Pelosi, these are, these are not brilliant people. And then you, what COVID did, the good thing it did, is it exposed the the people at all levels. It exposed the Lori Lightfoots. Nobody knew who these people were before the Gretchen Whitmers, uh, and and you saw, wow, these were really being run by some awful people <laughs> at these levels. And uh, so I think it, it it exposed that. But they don't have to be brilliant. So I I don't respect them at all. You know, people, a lot of people in the conspiracy world think, oh, there's no, no, they're not brilliant at all. They just have power. And, you know, the fact that they have power, it's, it's like a police officer. I mean, you know, most, most police forces, they actually cap their IQ. They don't want somebody to have over like 100 IQ or something. But people, that's absolutely true because they want them following orders. So these are not brilliant people, but they have, they have naked power. 
Yeah, so it doesn't matter. You know, you can you can have three times the IQ of the police officer, but if you're stopped, who has the power? And so people need to realize that. Uh, and so in this case, I think they just it's almost understandable. I mean, and and that's why you know Oliver Stone again he he produced a documentary that was scheduled to run I think on the Discovery Channel. I think it was Discovery Channel, and they yanked it at the last minute. And uh, I've never found out what happened to it. I'd love to be able to see it, but uh, that's how powerful it is because they can't any. And that's what I, when I talk about all these events, they are connected. The people in JFK assassination research community, that's why I'm kind of ostracized there because I talk about all this stuff because I think it's all connected. I mean, not directly, but it's all symptomatic of, of organized corruption. And by the way, uh, Don, uh, Oliver Stone has also been ruined. Oliver Stone was one of the most respected filmmakers of his day coming into his film on JFK. And, of course, you know, that kind of sets it off. But Stone didn't stop there. He did JFK. He did 9-11. He went and interviewed uh, um, uh, um, oh, uh, Ed, he did Snowden. He went and interviewed Snowden. Yes, Snowden yeah. he, he, he's also, he went and interviewed because he, 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 he wanted, Stone, Stone's an, inquir- an inquiring type like us. He wanted to know. Why are the Russians saying that the Ukrainians and, and the and NATO will not honor this agreement? You're messing with the nuclear power here. He kind of wanted to know what was going on. And so he went to Ukraine and he did the interviews. And he went yeah. and, and he, he interviewed Putin and he asked him straight up, are you trying to start a war? And Putin told him, no, they're, 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 tr- they're trying to do this. Let's go backwards here. Uh, I, I, with with, with um, uh, Don, uh, Don Jeffries here, find him on Substack. DonaldJeffries.substack.com. Great place to hang out. Good writing here. Uh, uh, Don's a good Catholic. I see that rosary hanging behind you. So I'm thinking as you're talking, well, I say this often on on this radio show, Don. I say these people aren't smart. They're stupid. They're useful idiots. The Central Intelligence Agency, the Central Intelligence is Baphomet. That's the Central, that's who they have in their corner. But I want to talk about something that is not really well known, but you touched on it just a moment ago. And that is the Oklahoma City bombing. I didn't know until I watched a recent documentary on this. Was it a, a docudrama, right, Maggie, on Oklahoma City? Um, it was on Showtime. Uh, they actually yeah. showed that the, the kind of the buildup of McVeigh and why he chose the Murrah building, because the Murrah building is where they had the meeting where they plotted to go and, and send the FBI and the ATF into the Branch Davidian compound, right? And so this is why McVeigh chose Oklahoma City. But the Epic Times... Done. 18 months ago, ran a full page, front page, considered into the uh, into the section A center of the Epic Times, two pages. There was a witness who was going to come forward and was going to provide testimony. McVeigh was not in that van alone. There was a there was someone else in that van, and they had and then and they had the videotape, the first call, the emergency call that was made about the 911 call that was made about Oklahoma City was like there were two men in the van. There were two guys in the van. It is believed, and the testimony that was going to come out according to the Epic Times, whoever wrote the story, was that this guy was working, it was a Gretchen Whitmer plot. He was working the inside track against McVeigh and that group there, and he was actually encouraging them and actually helping them build the the, the bomb that ultimately went off. If that's what's hap- if that's what happened, what can you tell what can you tell our listeners about that? What did well, I get right? What did I get wrong? No, no. Well, you, you, in hidden history, I have a, a lot about it, and I certainly I concentrate there basically on the case against McVeigh, which is uh, you know McVeigh was very Oswald like. 
in terms of uh, his uh, background, his connections. And if you watch his, his trial was a legal lynching. It was very disturbing. And I, I think I was the only one complaining about it at the time and I didn't have any platform as a real young guy. But, um, you know, he was, uh, for the first time, they, they really made, and, and we see this now, it was the forerunner of what was to come in Alex Jones's trials and the J6 defendants and all that, where uh, basically his beliefs were on trial. So much of the so-called evidence against him were, uh, you know, excerpts from the fact he advertised in the spotlight, which I subscribe to. And I now write for the American Free Press, which is what the spotlight became after the Anti-Defamation League drove them into bankruptcy. Last free newspaper in America. But they, they use that as evidence against him as if the fact that, that he was he, the fact that he was reading things like the Turner Diaries and other subversive books. That's not evidence. And for the fir- for the first time in history, victim impact statements were all the rage, and, and I raged against that as well as a civil libertarian. But they they had all these people who were distraught and obviously un- understandable grief from losing people, losing family members. But they weren't witnesses to anything, so they prejudiced everything. They most people don't realize in McVeigh's case, they never introduced any of the evidence. They didn't place him at the scene of the crime. Because they couldn't, as you mentioned, he was always with somebody else, the John Doe number two. So every witness that saw him would have, the defense attorney would have, you know, brought out that he was with somebody else. So they just didn't present any evidence. So again, if I'm on the jury, I would have to say, even if I thought, look, well, they, they didn't present any evidence that he was even there at the scene of the crime. So that's the problem we have with it. I mean, they didn't get his fair trial. And he, there's so many questions involved there. And I'll have a lot more in my, my book that's coming out next year, The American Memory Hole. Uh, I, I, I got a lot more information on that. Uh, there was, you know, there's missing witnesses. The guy, Kurt Loudon Slater, who was documented by people to have rescued tons of people to be at the beginning, of, right after the bombing. Officially, they claimed they would just throw him down the memory hole. You can't find anything about him. You can't find his family or anything. They claim now that he died at his desk during the bombing, that all those people imagined him say, and also see, getting into loud arguments with a BATF agent or something. There's the, the missing uh, woman that was running the daycare uh, in, the, in the building that was coming under such scrutiny because of the children there. She's still alive. You can't get a hold of her. I've tried very hard, and I've had Charles Key on my program, a former state representative who was on the grand jury, who did great work, and they tried. They She was scared. She wouldn't come forward. There's lots there. I actually got. I actually talked to Timothy McVeigh's dad during researching the book. He actually answered the phone. I was shocked, but uh, he didn't talk to me long. You know, I, I tried to say, look, man, you know, I, I think your son was a patsy. I don't want to hear about it. I don't want to talk about it. I've talked about that enough, and he hung up. So that's... That's the reality there. There are tons. There's there's so much about Oklahoma City that was kind of a forerunner for 9/11. Same things we saw. Unbelievable, uh, you know, evidence that there were explosions in the building. We we used to call it the, the magic giant fertilizer bomb, in terms of the, you know the, 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 the thing they had there. That didn't cause all that damage. And and you, there's still video out there of of early local news coverage from Oklahoma City that talks repeatedly about bombs in the building and talks to people about bombs in the building. You had General Ben General. Ben Parton, who is the nation's number one expert on explosives, who was all out in alternative media that existed back then, talking about these had to be explosives, but he wasn't welcome by Ted Koppel or anybody at the time. No mainstream media would have him. So there's mm-hmm. there's tons of evidence there that there's, there's way more than you know Timothy McVeigh, uh, you know, being this low nut. 
there's also the um, if you look or we did this on the uh, anniversary of 9-11 by the way I read from uh, your uh, your substack too on the anniversary of 9-11 we played the two instances where Donald Trump was interviewed on the morning of, 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 of September right. 11, 2001 and Trump goes I'm convinced I saw the building I know I know those buildings the steel's on the outside it was built in a very different way the windows are very narrow very narrow windows they're beautiful windows beautiful and he described he goes there were bombs that went off he said to Tom Brokaw he goes there were bombs in that building that went off and brought that thing down now that tape is still available then there's the other one where he was at ground zero and he was talking about the my manner here to, to look at this this is another one that that Oliver Stone explored in his Nick Cage movie about 9-11 right, WTC7 and Stone implies he doesn't. I guess he didn't want to really, didn't really want to push it, but he implies strongly that because Nicholas Cage hears the bombs while he's stuck in the building in the film, he hears the bombs going off, and then you know the the the, the dust and all that comes in. Your piece says 9/11, the inside job that created America. 21 years of intensive lies and covering up. Um, as I tell my radio audience, Don, I said, none of us want to think. I don't want to believe that the government of the United States employs people that are capable of doing this and killing that many people. I, I don't want to believe it. What does the evidence, though, tell me? What is what is reason and what does logic and the evidence say? It says that they well, did it. Well, yeah, it, it says that the, at the very least, again, best case scenario, they let it happen. Uh, these planes were flying around for almost an hour and a half from the first moment they were notified that they knew that a plane had been hijacked, the first plane had been hijacked. They did nothing. They, if they did anything at all, it's shoot down Flight 93 in Pennsylvania. We still don't know what happened there and lie about it. Right. That's the only action they took if they did that. Uh, they, it, it, I point out the year before. They, and in, my, in Hidden History, I, I show how common it was for the, it is for uh, the government to send up fighter jets when there's a suspicious thing going on. They sent up when golfer Payne Stewart was flying around a tragic accident where the oxygen came out of the cabin, all the people died instantly. They sent fighter jets, fighter jets up within 15 minutes. They didn't send fighter jets up that day. They, again, you had, you had planes headed for the World Trade Center and then the one flying around for a while headed for the heart of the defense establishment, the Pentagon. They did nothing. And so at the very least they stood down. And again, you had that drill that day. You had the drill that was, these drills are always front and center. And so you, you had the ridiculous 9-11 commission actually maintaining that, if anything, they were more vigilant that day than normal. More vigilant? They did, I hate to say if you weren't vigilant, but they, so, and that's the very, but clearly you have, you have, we know, for instance, that, uh, and there's so, and I go down the rabbit hole on this. I mean, I, I'm, I'm like most people, I, I will. You know, I, 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 you know, things like the jumpers. I've always thought that was strange. And I, in my in the American memory hole, I have a lot more about 9-11. And I found the NIST report, not a conspiracy theory. The NIC report said that the first person jumped from that building four minutes after the first plane struck. Now, I'm sorry. I don't think any human being can become suicidal in four minutes. <laughs> I, don't, I don't believe that, but that's what they tell you. So uh, there's things like that that make no sense. The human interest story that the media trotted out, and I talked about that in Hidden History, where they claim there are these two women flying, and they always flew together. But on that day, 9-11, they couldn't get a seat together on the same plane. Well, the problem is the same in the, same, in the next breath, they are telling you that all of the planes were severely under capacity. They're all like 33% or something. 
So, and there's no journalist to come out and say, well, wait a minute, those two don't make any sense. Obviously, they could have flown together. So that's what happens. That's why you get people that go all the way down the rabbit hole and think these are hoaxes. Mm. Because that story makes no sense. And you get those kinds of things all the time. You have, uh, you have Muhammad Atta, who's supposedly the most famous, most well-known of the... Uh, the deadly hijackers that uh, you know the giant the giant arab from the bat cave you know had had them going around and he and, was and on AA11 a- or AA77 yeah and and he uh you know his father uh, he had to go to german media cuz the american media is not interested in anything any investigative reporting at all he had to go to german media and he told him hey you know my son you know muhammad called me the day after 911 what and said he'd been framed by the mossad his life, and he's 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 uh, you know he's living uh, you know he's he's uh, he's living in fear. What? So it, it, people like me have to write about this, and you again, you can find it in mainstream German media. What does that mean? I don't know, but I do know that he, he didn't survive the the crash. If that's the case, so these are the questions that would have been answered. They, I talked to Scott Forbes when I was researching hidden history. He worked in the World Trade Center. He moved to England out of fear. And he could still fear the, hear the fear in his voice. And he, he, all his people were not there that day. They were off, thank goodness. All of them survived. But they had witnessed uh, many curious things leading up to 9-11. Those, uh, power outages, strange construction, security cameras not working. They tried to tell the uh, Fort, Port Authority. They tried to tell the NYPD. Tried to tell the 9-11 Commission. No one was interested. And the 9-11 Commission lied like the Warren Commission did and said there were no mysterious power outages or anything. So these are people. There weren't conspiracy theorists. They work there. Nobody knows better than they did. So that's why I, you know, I blanch at the conspiracy theories thing. If people can re- read my work and tell me what my theory is, I don't have any theory. I'm just giving the facts out there, and they always conflict with the conclusions you're, that the, the our so-called journalists and mainstream media are giving, they always conflict with these absurd narratives that are trotted out for the public to you know to believe. You know, uh, uh, and, and as we talked about here, and again, I read from your uh, from uh, your piece on uh, that you posted this year on 9-11. There, there's so many inconsistencies here. But if you go back and piece it that day, I was actually there. I had dropped my children off at school. Radio report comes on. It's just really strange. A, build, a plane has struck the top of World Trade Center 2. We're not really sure what and why. And then he talked about how a plane had previously, most people don't know this, a plane flew into the Empire State Building. Yes. Plane hit the Empire State Building, very similar at about a similar height to the WTC, uh, and uh, you just read about that today, and, and really nothing happened. But there, the, the, there's so much, there's so many different things that are going on here. For example, um, Bush was in Florida at this school. Everyone knows where Bush was. It's so well documented that where he was, it's almost uncanny. That, let's make sure we detail that he was not there. Uh, there is no footage that I can find of Cheney, though. So, and and at yeah. the time that Shanksville happens, who would have had the authority to order ninety three shot down? It could only have been Cheney. A joint yeah. chief couldn't have done that. Cheney would have had to have given the order. So these are the right. things that, and, and then, then the role of NORAD. You can track Santa Claus, but you don't know where American Airlines Flight 77 is. You can right. tell us where Santa Claus is on Christmas night, right. yeah. but you don't know where 77 or AA-11 was. Well, right. So many uh, uh, inconsistencies. But the interesting thing, Don, is we got, if you watched it in real time, you already know all this. 
You know this. You heard it. You listened to it. Because the media wasn't in on it, or not all of them. Anyway, they were actually reporting, like, I'll never forget, Rick Leventhal of Fox News was standing on the street when the first tower, when the second tower got hit. He was filming. He was there from Fox, and he, and he tells the cameraman, pan up and look at the fire on, on WTC2. And that's when the second plane flies into Tower 1, right? Yeah, and then yeah. you see it go through, or did it go through? Trump says it couldn't yeah, have gone well, through. It, well, it, it, we, we're not sure. And again, why? Because uh, it's... <laughs> It's like with the JFK assassination, you do come up with theories, you do have things, and, and, and 9-11 has certainly spawned tons of theories. So you have the no planes theory, the holograms, the empty towers. Uh, the, and, and this is because it's it, you're going to, where there's no investigation, there's going to be speculation. Because that's all most people can do. And these subjects do draw... Um, sometimes unbalanced personalities i don't know i've been in this in this field for a long time so uh, a lot of the people are kind of predisposed to to go way too extreme and go beyond the evidence i don't do that i'm just telling you that what they're telling you uh makes no sense yeah i'm suspicious that you know one of the witnesses they happened to talk to in the street the handful of witnesses immediately in new york city turned out to be uh in the future turned out to be one of uh tiger woods's mistresses I think that's kind of a coincidence that she happened to be, you know, in the forefront of two issues like that. Those are the kind of things that draw my attention. But I know that's not evidence, but it's curious. And um, we know that they tell you that uh, their theory of why these towers collapsed, because, again, people need to realize before 9-11, and my friend Richard Gage has done great work on this. And I was in New York City last Saturday, Saturday before last, talking uh, at a, a conference with Richard Gage. He's the architect, right? Yes, the architects and engineers of 9-11 Truth, who, who's now been, he's not with his own organization anymore, but he's, uh, great work, his great, pre his presentation is, is tremendous, and, you know, he, he's, obviously, he's not, like, he's not, I'm a community college dropout, this guy's an engineer, an architect, he knows, uh, what he's talking about, and so, when he's talking about these, this, this, this never happened before, no steel frame building, he showed all the pictures of buildings that had tremendous fires over the years before and since, and did not collapse, uh, there's there's no reason for this to have happened, and their their jet fuel magical jet fuel concoction thing uh, makes no sense because they tell you science. You know, we know from COVID we have to respect the science. Uh, science tells you that it's like 2,700 degrees or something like that where steel melts. Uh, but then in the next breath they'll tell you fires got up to 800 degrees that day. So it's like one third of the amount. So obviously they it couldn't have melted. Their theory makes no sense, so then they have to come up with another explanation for all the explosions heard in the sub-basement. People who saw damage in the sub-basement, you know, 80-plus floors below, who saw people on fire in the lobby. How does that happen? And so, they, you know, obviously, something else is going on here. And, and the American Memory Hall will have a lot more about 9-11, and we'll talk about the uh, at least 150 firefighters alone who reported explosions yes. in the buildings. And, and and by the way, over 100 reported explosions in the Pentagon, too. That doesn't get as reported as much. So obviously, these are things were going on that day that are not reported. And the, the cover story makes no sense at all. It basically is just another giant magic bullet theory for this. Yeah, and there's a, uh, just uh, one final thing, and we're going to have to wrap this up. I uh, hope to be talking to, to Donald Jeffries much more in the future here. You point out something that I, and I, the first time I ever saw this, I went, you have eight frames. 
The Pentagon is the most video surveillance place in the world. <laughs> and all you have are eight frames from a security camera at the at the at the check-in gate at the east entrance yeah. or whatever, and and and, all, and it doesn't really show anything. I mean, you you could make the no. conclusion that that that's an aircraft, but as you point out, look, and as others say, well, look, that thing is made of reinforced rebar steel. The wings would have been sure. There's no way those wings would have gone into that building. There's so many inconsistencies there. But so, when does the American memory hole come out? That comes out next spring. Okay. I pipe the memo in red is next month in time for the 60th anniversary of the American memory holes. It's basically hidden history three. For some reason, my primary publisher doesn't like putting numbers on it. So it's the American memory hole. How the court historians promote disinformation. And we'll look for that in March. But we'll talk to you between now and then. Sure. My well, pleasure. Well, Don, uh, Don Jefferson, uh, he has a, I like the Don Air sign, uh, the on air sign back there. Of course, you, know, you can see the rosary, masking the truth, another, uh, uh, another book back there. Can't wait to uh, stay in touch with you. Thank you for being generous with your time. I'm glad we were able to make the connection. I'll try to become mainstream so you can go MSM. Okay. I've always wanted to. (laughs) It's overrated. You're good where you are. Thanks. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. All right, uh, Donald Jeffries. uh, He is donaldjeffries.substack.com. We'll talk soon. God bless you, brother. Thank you. Same to you. Okay.